Hello everyone. Let me ask you this question. Would you be able to recognise your neighbour's voice? Would you be so confident in recognising your neighbour's voice that you would testify in a court of law to that effect? Guy Paul Morin was wrongly convicted of the 1984 rape and murder of his nine-year-old next-door neighbour Christine Jessup. Christine's mother testified that she could hear screams followed by Morin's voice shortly before discovering her daughter. DNA testing led to a subsequent overturning of this verdict. To this day, no one else has been charged with Jessup's murder. Although voice recognition is presented as evidence in legal cases, its scientific basis is highly questionable. Hence why I asked at the very start whether you would reliably recognise the voice of your neighbour. David Shepard was convicted in 1984 of rape, robbery, weapons violations and terrorist threats, stemming from an incident involving the abduction of a woman from a parking lot. Two men forced her into the back seat of her car where she was pinned down and driven to a residential area. Both men proceeded to attack her. Shepard was the only person arrested for this crime. The prosecution relied on the victim's identification of Shepard through voice identification. During the attack, one of the assailants had called the other Dave. Additionally, items from the victim's car and purse were found near the airport where Shepard worked. Shepard's defence was an alibi that police couldn't corroborate. In 1992, Shepard filed for access to the evidence for DNA testing. Testing commenced upon samples of the victim's underwear and two profiles were found, neither of which matched Shepard. The victim's boyfriend was also tested and excluded. Based on the results of DNA testing, the court ordered a new trial and the prosecution did not retry Shepard. He was released in May 1994 after having served 10 years in prison. So here you have two cases, that of Guy Paul Moran and David Shepard, both of whom have served time in prison based on voice analysis or voice evidence if you like. So how much importance do we place on forensic voice analysis? How often is it used? And for what purpose? When ISIS released the video of journalist James Foley being beheaded not so long ago, experts from all over the world tried to identify the masked terrorist known as Jihadi John by analysing analyzing rather the sound of his voice. Documents disclosed by Edward Snowden revealed that the US National Security Agency, the NSA, had analysed and extracted the content of millions of phone conversations. In the case of George Zimmerman, the Neighbourhood Watch coordinator, who in 2012 shot African-American Trayvon Martin in the US, one expert stated that he could extract a voice profile and even interpret the screams that could be heard in the background of an emergency call. So let's talk about using the voice as evidence. Forensic voice analysis was first admitted in UK courts in around the 1960s. Inherent limitations though of the voice as a biometric measurement are reasons why some question its validity. There's a number of factors that come into play. Firstly, there are speaker factors. So one must consider the different modalities that might be audible, so shouting, whispers etc. I, for one, 
would find it very difficult to identify someone I know well by their voice if they were just simply whispering. Emotional states fluctuate, and I'm sure you'd agree that when they do, tone of voice, for example, would change. Language creates a significant degree of variation. And if someone is intoxicated or highly medicated, then would we really be able to identify them that easily or without reasonable doubt? Then there's the technical factors to consider. Mobile codecs, which encode data signals for transmission and storage, such as in telephone transmission, may distort the original sound. And lastly, situational factors, which can make voice identification extremely difficult to achieve. Imagine a recording from a crowded area. You'd have overlapping speech and background noise to contend with. Yes, nowadays we have computer programs and apps that attempt to remove background noise, but can we be 100% certain that the voice data in a potential recording is not subject to any loss of integrity? So what exactly would a forensic voice analyst be looking for? Well, they would want to use linguistic phonetic methods, including auditory and acoustic analysis. They'd determine consonants, vowels, pitch, the voice quality or timbre, rhythm, speech rate, lexical choices, so like diction, and what's known as hesitation phenomena. I'd like to discuss the main areas of forensic science that include the voice and give uh, some relevant examples in each case. So the first area I'd like to talk about is in speech or speaker recognition. Now, this reminds me very much of the case of Nathan Coleman, who also went by the name David Bieber. And he was convicted for the murder of PC Ian Broadhurst in Leeds in 2003. The jury had taped conversations made by the defendant on a mobile phone to betting lines in the months before the fatal shooting. Coleman spoke with an accent closely associated with the southern US states, but it also included elements of a Yorkshire dialect. The jury also heard a recording of the final moments of PC Broadhurst's life, where he was heard pleading for his life before he was shot. Now, what's interesting is that analysis of the recordings revealed striking similarities. Another crucial area of forensic voice analysis is for the purpose of intelligibility enhancement of audio recordings. When making a telephone call, the voice can be unintentionally altered by the speaker because of the psychological conditions of stress and or maybe fear created by the act of actually committing a crime. The state of health, tobacco and psychotropic substances also affect the voice. The speaker may also deliberately modify the voice, the speech and or their language. If you listen to the telephone recording made when Patsy Ramsey found her daughter John Bonet murdered, you'd hear muffled voices and what appears to be her hanging up the telephone. Well, she thought she had hung up. Let me play it for you. After forensic analysis of that recording, it's been suggested that the following can be heard. We're not speaking to you. What did you do? Get off me. What did you do? 
Now, without going into the background of this infamous case, I can tell you that this revelation really did perpetuate the idea that Mrs. Ramsey knew the identity of her daughter's killer. I recorded a podcast not too long ago on offender profiling and their forensic significance. Speaker profiling is another branch of that, if you like. It can tell you a lot about someone from uh, their voice. Think about people that you know. Are those who are softly spoken quite meek or timid or shy? Are those who you know who speak quite confidently, quite loudly? Let's say, are they quite extrovert or quite loud perhaps in their personality? Speaker profiling aims to match a person to a voice. So let me tell you about the case of caretaker Paul Stefani. Stefani lured women to his car, took them to a secluded location and then killed them. He then called the police to anonymously report the murders. Amongst his victims, Karen Potak, who was bludgeoned with a tire iron. Kim Compton, who was stabbed 61 times with an ice pick. Kathy Greening, who he drowned in a bathtub. Barbara Simmons, who I believe he stabbed over 100 times. Denise Williams, who was stabbed with a screwdriver. Now, for a moment, just think about the offender profile that forensic psychologists would have drawn up for this man. What would you imagine him to be like? What kind of person would you expect him to be? What would you imagine him to sound like? Well, it might surprise you after listening to his 911 police call. He was dubbed the weepy voice killer by the mainstream media. I'll play you just a short extract of his police call now. Don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry what I did to Compton. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had to stab her. I am so upset about it. I keep getting drunk every day and I can't believe it. It's like a big dream. I can't think of being locked up. If I get locked up, I'd kill myself. I'd rather kill myself than get locked up. I'd try not to kill anybody else. Fire emergency. Please don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry, I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one. Oh, my chief. Oh, I don't know what's the matter with me. I'm sick. I'm going to kill myself, I think. Where are you? I'm just going to. There's so many guys with a red shirt on. It's me. I killed both people. I'm sorry. I'm going to make it Calm down. Calm you find me? I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. Yes, please. This is an emergency. Please send a squad to Pierce Butler Road, Malmberg Manufacturing Company, Machine Shop. Please, there's an ambulance, too. There's a girl hurt there. Can you tell me what happened to her? Just hurry. There's a, she's laying on the ground in the back by the, by the railroad tracks, by the engine. What's the address? I don't know. Who are you? The sounds of an almost crying man, clearly emotionally charged and will just weepy, for want of a better word, are a far cry, no pun intended, from the image that the crime scenes and the victims convey. Another key area of forensic voice analysis is in the transcription and interpretation of disputed utterances. 
So forensic recordings may be made with poor recording equipment. There may be noisy conditions, overlapping speech, strong accents, or just questions about the language being spoken. Because of these difficulties, in some cases, there might be dispute between the parties in the legal case about certain utterances with particular evidential value. So analysts are then often asked to provide evidence to determine what the words spoken actually are. Enhancement may be carried out involving the application of digital filters and dynamic processes to recordings to reduce the background noise and to improve the intelligibility of the actual speech. In 2004, quite some time ago, a rather controversial article appeared on the BBC News website about an art teacher, Miss Forsyth, who had secretly recorded Prince Harry at Eton, confessing to, supposedly, doing very little of his art A-level coursework. The transcript alleges that he said, a tiny, tiny bit. I did about a sentence of it. Investigators for the royal family suggested the audio recording was completely inaudible and that nothing of significance could be determined from it. Let's talk about how scientists conduct authenticity or integrity examinations of audio recordings. The authentication process determines whether or not the audio recording in question has been tampered with. Nowadays, editing digital audio recordings is really simple to do, especially with free software like Audacity or WavePro, I mean even the one I'm using to record this podcast. Analysts need to look for changes in the background ambience, inconsistent speech pacing and wording as well as changes in the noise floor is a series of natural and electronic sounds that should be consistent throughout the recording. Noise is defined as any sound source signals like hiss, hums, wind, heating, ventilation, air conditioning and any other sounds that are not part of the intended recording. There's an interesting article in Telegraph uh, not so long ago that went with the headline Met Police Use Electric Hum to Solve Crimes. It goes on to describe how the uh, Metropolitan Police were using the hum of background noises produced by mains electricity to help them solve crimes where audio recordings had been submitted as evidence. I just want to go off tangent ever so slightly for a moment and say something about ear witness testimony. See, in this podcast, we're discussing the evidential value placed on voice analysis. But what about scrutinising those actually listening to the sounds? as opposed to the sounds themselves. In the case of Guy Morin, who I mentioned at the start of this podcast, it was ear witness testimony that was used by the prosecution to secure a conviction. It is understood now, however, that voice varies over time and between situations. It almost seems quite obvious to us now. Despite being unreliable as evidence though, ear witness testimony can still be used in a court of law. In fact, in one study, it was shown to provide accurate identification in only 9 to 28%, so somewhere in that small range of the time. So only between 9 and 28% of the time did it accurately identify a person. Unfortunately, the methods used in practice to analyse voice vary quite distinctly. Human analysis of voice samples brings with inherent challenges. It requires immense skill fluency in language and not just the native language 
and enough data to produce valid comparative results. There's an increasing focus on automatic speaker recognition or ASR systems nowadays anyway, which aim to provide a holistic analysis of an entire speech signal with fewer errors and the ability to handle mass data. Now, whilst forensic voice analysis may yield interesting results, it can't be used in isolation. It must in any investigation be used in conjunction with a wealth of other evidence that's obtained. In 2019, the police released an excerpt from a recording made when an anonymous caller boasted about evading capture. To finish this podcast, I just want to play you this recording. Have a listen and see if you can pick out anything distinctive. So, the letter T in don't is emphasised. Could that be typical of the caller? They used the word never, but then questioned it with are you? Is that rhetorical? Are they confused or maybe are they just being manipulative? There was a lisp heard on the word silly. Could that be a giveaway? Well, you might have guessed it, but it was me who made that recording. Now, it only took me changing the way I said a few words in a voice deepening app to fool some of you, hopefully. It can be tricky to identify someone's voice that you recognise even after they've been speaking to you for nearly 20 minutes straight or so. Now, imagine using voice evidence in a court of law when you don't know someone. And on that note, I'd like to thank everyone for listening.